Hi friends, welcome to Womankind. I'm here with my guest. Her name is Annie Booth and she is a pianist and composer. Um, I'm Kelsey Novitz, your host, and I'm happy to be here in episode 33. So hi, Annie. Hi, Kelsey. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I'm doing awesome. Welcome to the show. Let's Thank start. You. Let's start out by hearing a little bit about your backstory. So, who are you? What's your story? Where do you come from? Yeah. So, um, so I'm from Denver, Colorado, uh, which is where I'm currently based out of, and I am a jazz pianist and composer, and educator. Um, I teach as well um, as perform and write music and. Um, I've been performing professionally for, let's see, probably about 10 years now, um, right out of high school. And, and I went to college and studied music. And I went to the University of Colorado um, in Boulder and studied jazz there. And then ever since finishing that, I've just been kind of um, trying to make a name for myself um, within the Denver jazz scene and then, and then more nationally as well. Um, and I write in and perform with a group um, of my own called the Annie Booth Trio, which uh, features a drummer and a bassist and myself on piano. And so that's kind of my main project, but I, I uh, stay really busy composing for for bigger groups and kind of freelancing and, and, um, and teaching as well. So um, yeah, that's kind of who I am. That's awesome. So was music just always something that you knew you were going to end up doing and being a part of? It was. Yeah. My, um, my dad's very musical. He, he's kind of one of those people that can play every instrument. Um, he plays bass mostly, but, um, he, he plays fiddle and, uh, piano and guitar. And so growing up, we were just constantly surrounded by music. And, uh, so all my siblings, I have three siblings and we all played, um, instruments and took piano lessons. And I really actually hated the piano lesson. <laughs> thing which is funny now looking back on it but I realized I just had to like get into like jazz and like kind of breaking the rules a little bit and you know being more more free and open to to just making music that was really what um attracted me to like specifically the jazz art form Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was kind of like clear at a certain point maybe age 14 15 I was like this is what I want to do I'm gonna I'm gonna commit myself to this so yeah was there ever any, you know, that like stereotypical question of like, okay, this is an art. How can I do this as a career? I mean, oh it, sounds, gosh, it sounds yeah. like no, like if your dad was musical, you maybe didn't have that like pushback. But did you experience that in any way? No, my parents were so, they were so supportive. They're like, all right, yeah, you're going to do this. Go to college for music and yeah, we'll help you figure it out. But I felt that for sure myself, like after I had finished college, um, I was like, all right, cool. I have this like bachelor's degree in music that doesn't guarantee me any sort of job, but uh, (laughs) here we go. So I kind of figured things out slowly, but surely I I, like did a cruise ship gig right after college, which was a great job to kind of save some money and, and see the little bit of the world. Um, And then after that, it's just, I've been kind of like, strategically just trying to build the career, um, you know, as a self-employed musician, but doing a lot of different things, teaching and, um, you know, composing and freelancing and, and, uh, it's, it's tough, but it's been a really, really amazing journey the past few years. Nice. 
So for, you know, the lay person who maybe doesn't know a lot about that scene, um, and this is this might be kind of like a personal question, but how does someone generate an income from that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, like I said, part of it is teaching. So whether that mm -hmm. means like teaching like hourly piano lessons, um, and I don't really do that that much these days, but I used to. I used to teach kind of actually little kids. Um, <laughs> and I found out that that wasn't my forte, like, you know, <laughs> five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Oh, that so would be that, so hard. <laughs> it was hard. It was really hard. It was very, you know, I mean, a lot of them are really sweet, but they're very antsy and, yeah. and uh feels like babysitting sometimes, but so there's that, you know, or teaching high school musicians. Um, I, I love doing that. Um, so that, you know, you can make kind of like an income that way. Another way is basically just playing gigs. So, um, that, and that's primarily what I do now is I play, um, concerts like, you know, where people are sitting down in a theater. I have one of those coming up next week. Um, but I do like kind of jazz club, um, stints where it's like, you know, there's, Maybe it's a little noisier or, or it's a sit down audience. Maybe they paid a cover to hear you. Um, for a while I was doing like, um, like wedding, um, gigs and that kind of thing, like playing piano and wedding bands or playing for the ceremony of a wedding and kind of like corporate events. And you kind of just make a puzzle out of all these different, you know, parts and all these things you can do. And, and, uh, it kind of, tends to just amount to uh, an income somehow. <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, yeah that there, you listing all of that, there's a ton of opportunity out there now, like for yeah. those things. And you'd be surprised, like just, I mean, I, I actually, this is something I want to do in the future is, is write a, like create a coffee table book of um, musicians, weirdest gigs. Oh, cool. um, because we find ourselves in these like really weird situations <laughs> like where you're so, just like, how did I end up here? I'm at like a clown convention <laughs> and I'm playing cocktail music, you know, it's just but but we kind of just you once you kind of fall into the fold of the scene, um, it's kind of cool how it just works out. You just get calls for stuff and that's awesome. kind of piece together your income. Yeah. So what is your weirdest gig then? Oh, I have a couple. I think I think everyone should probably give their top three. But one of the weirdest ones, I played this great Gatsby party okay. um, up in the mountains of Colorado. It was very like it was like a multi-million dollar mansion. Wow. And they just threw a party just because it wasn't like a birthday. It was just like we're having a party. And and uh, it was just it was just so weird. Like people fell into this like pond that was there. It, it was just and like it was this huge um driveway like climb up to get there we had to like schlep our stuff and oh my gosh um that was just weird because I was like how did I find myself here yeah that's but I, very odd I, it was odd but mm -hmm. I found I found myself like I played at a women's prison before that was cool. unusual wow that was actually really cool um but it was very strange you know just going through the um kind of process of getting in you know going through the security and all the metal detectors and um, but, but that was a really rewarding kind of unusual gig. So yeah, there's like, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of weird gigs, but, um, it's cool. I like that. I like that there's, it, every day is really different. Um, yeah, doing this and, and it, you know, just, it, it's always a challenge. Like, you know, it can be some gigs, it can be not so fun or, or challenging in certain ways. And then some are just like, you know, euphoric and then the music's amazing and, and the vibe is so good. So it's, I love that, that, that just, um, just is different every day. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what is your favorite instrument to play of 
the instruments that you do play? Um, definitely piano. So I, um, I did play clarinet for a long time, um, in high school and, and through college also, but I just wasn't as passionate about the clarinet as I am about the piano. So piano is definitely my favorite. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I find myself doing all the time <laughs> these days is just playing piano. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've come a long way from those lessons as a kid. Yes, I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I can understand that, like, as a kid, it would kind of be, it would be very, like, tedious, like, the learning how to play aspect or the learning how to do aspect of anything is always very tedious until you're, you're right, yeah. in, like, the expert stage. Yeah, and I think you have to find, like, your your passion for it. Like, mm-hmm. I was just, and I had a grouchy teacher, and, oh, like, no. you know, and my sister was way better at it than I was and we were taking you know so it's just like I was not into it um but I loved music and so it was like you know just finding it on my own and that Mm -hmm. I kind of take that as like a lesson with my students now like my you know middle school and high school students who are learning jazz like sometimes they might not be as into like a certain type of jazz or a certain song as I am and you know I might tell them how amazing it is but ultimately they kind of have to find that passion on their own or find what kind of music speaks to them the most and it might not be jazz it might be you know punk or whatever but um you know if they're playing music I'm always just like find the music that you love and learn how to play it and then mm-hmm. you know and then you're never going to be like grumpy playing music because you're going <laughs> to dig it <laughs> Yeah, I relate to that on a deep level as a high school teacher that oh my you gosh. have to let, um, yeah, let applies, students totally. find their own passion for things. For yeah, sure. yeah. So let's talk about your personal relationship with jazz. Why jazz and not another genre of music? I think, um, well, jazz is a very, jazz is a, such a unique um, style of music, you know, it's just, it's uniquely American. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's not why I play it, but, um, it, there's just so many things about it that it just differentiates it from other styles. And for me, like when I first started listening to jazz, it was like very mysterious to me because I had no idea what's going on. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like if they hear a jazz band somewhere and they're like, I don't know what you're doing. You're just playing a lot of notes. It sounds cool, I guess, but like, (laughs) a lot of notes going on and when I first started listening that's how I felt about it but I love that because I was like I don't know like I remember hearing Charlie Parker a great kind of famous bebop saxophonist from the 40s and 50s and I, I heard him for the first time and I was like I have no idea what he's doing absolutely no idea but I love this like I want to figure out what why is why is he playing that why is he playing like that why do we revere him and and so um so that's kind of what initially drew me in. And then kind of what has kept me here the whole time is the, the freedom that exists within jazz to be yourself. And um, I just didn't, I never felt that with like classical music at all. And, and, you know, I know that there are classical musicians who make their own, um, make every piece their own. And those are like the best of the best, you know, and they're, they're able to phrase things um, musically in their own specific way, but it's a smaller, a much smaller margin than what you get in jazz where jazz, it's like you, you can be yourself. Um, we have rules, you know, with, um, the language of jazz and with the form and the history. And we, we kind of respect and revere all those things. But at the same time, it's like, I can be Annie Booth. Like I don't have to play like anyone else. And, um, and it's actually like, 
that's applauded and that's like, um, you know, celebrated is mm-hmm. that individuality. So that's what I love about it and continue to love about it. So clear something up for me because you said you are a jazz musician and a composer. But yes. as, as someone who doesn't know that much about music, I thought that jazz is like always supposed to be on the fly. But is it possible to compose jazz pieces? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. So um, jazz is, it's a little, it's a combination of both. So um, it is on the fly. It is improvised. Mm -hmm. We use that word a lot, you know, with jazz. Um, But we're, we're, we're not just improvising on like a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. We're kind of improvising within a boundary and the boundary is whatever song we're playing. So um, you might be playing. Yeah. So you might be playing like a a song that has 12 measures, for example, like a blues, we call it 12 bar blues. So it has 12 measures and it just rotates round and round and round and round. Um, And then the jazz musicians will play like a melody maybe for the first two times. And then after that, everyone will have their own chance to kind of improvise over those chords. If that makes any sense over that form. So, so it's, so, and then, so what I do as a composer is I write my own, you know, write my own melodies and, and harmony and, and songs. And they might be in very different styles. Like I might have a swing song and, you know, I have some stuff that's more, uh, more funky or more just kind of like ballad like and slow. So I can, I can write my own song and then bring it to different jazz musicians and then they know what to do to improvise over it. So they can put their kind of their stamp on, on my song, if that makes sense. So it's a little bit, it is a little bit of both. It's like, and that's, that's one reason I really, really love jazz is because it's not just chaos all the time. And, and sometimes I think it comes across that way to the listener. Um, So that's kind of, you know, on us as jazz musicians to kind of uh, bring listeners in and um, not alienate them by just playing a bunch of (laughs) notes (laughs) for 20 minutes straight or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's like freedom within structure. Okay. I do like that. That's cool. Yeah, I like it too. So let's talk a little bit about the jazz scene. Um, And, you know, you you are a woman. And there are a lot of men in the jazz scene. So let's talk a little bit about some of the gender dynamics within that scene. Yeah, totally. So jazz has always been a male-dominated art form um always always and and these days it's it's like better than it was you know Mm -hmm. say like 40 50 years ago um there's more women playing jazz now than there were before probably more than ever um but it's still like so heavily male dominated um and it's something over the past few years I just like can't stop thinking about (laughs) for some reason it's just it's just always apparent to me um, in a lot of ways. So like here in Denver, um, you know, I, I, as I was mentioning earlier, I lead my own band and I play a lot around Denver and, and, and throughout the country too. Like we, my trio and I tour and, and have played all over, but, um, but specifically here in Denver, it just, it kind of bums me out because I don't have a lot of female peers who are doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, I can count on one hand, you know, the amount who are, who are, who are my peers really, you know, in the jazz scene and, you know, on a more national level, there's, there's a lot of really amazing gals who are leading bands and writing. And I, and I really admire them and look up to them and, and love following kind of their careers and seeing, you know, the stuff that they, 
they are putting out. But it's just um, it's just a bummer to me when I think about um, kind of the next generation of girls, um, especially here in Denver. We have a really great younger jazz scene. Um, I work for an organization called Colorado Conservatory for the Jazz Arts. Um, which kind of brings up middle school and high school kids who are interested in playing jazz and kind of almost, you know, inadvertently turns them into jazz musicians because it's a great educational program. But um, I see these girls who are like really excited about playing their instrument and they love jazz and they get discouraged by the fact that there's like hardly anyone that they can look up to um, on the professional level in town. So, um, so yeah, it's something that exists and, you know, sexism has existed in, existed in jazz for a long time and it's kind of a boys club that's kind of how it I, I always think of it it's kind of like you know a lot of um jam sessions and that kind of thing in the past and you know you can still find it today like we're sort of like a boys club like showing off you know how how awesome you are <laughs> at mm-hmm. your instrument and and sort of didn't leave a lot of space for um for welcoming kind of a different attitude about it um and and uh you know welcoming women it it, it was kind of not not so prevalent and like I said today it's a lot it's a lot better but it's still there's just not enough women in my opinion playing this music Mm -hmm. I think this and I think jazz would be different if there were more women playing it I always think about because I mean basically every gig I play I'm the only woman wow really oh yeah if if there happens to be another one I like it, it like it's a big deal for me you know like mm-hmm. I have a, I have a friend in town Anisha Rush is her name she's actually a good friend of Matt's as well and um she's an amazing saxophonist and when I get to play with her I'm like oh my god this is so cool <laughs> I just I feel like I have a sister on the you know someone else on the on the bandstand who you know right my, my buddy not that I'm not buddies with all the guys because I am but but it's just um, different it's a different connection it is. It's a different connection. So there's definitely this kind of like sisterhood, I think, that exists between female jazz musicians. And I love that um, because we all kind of know that experience um, without even having to like talk about it, you know, right. just everyone kind of gets it like, you know, the the sexist kind of nature um, that it can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every female jazz musician has experienced sexism. I think that's like I could probably say that with confidence Um, just because there's, you know, there's also an older generation of jazz musicians who grew up in a different environment. And they, when they see women um, on the stage, they, you know, they feel like they have, they feel compelled to say, you know, sexist things. And I've, I've had a lot of that um, said to me in the past, you know, when I finished a concert and, and it's just kind of, it's something I, I, can handle really well. And I just kind of like shrug it off and like, whatever, but, but it's still, it's like, it's a systemic issue that girls, I I don't think are encouraged to um, pursue it, pursue jazz. You know, there's a certain turning point, I think in high school where um, young girls just feel like they're being, they feel like nervous about being, you know, uh, vulnerable. That's kind of what jazz is, is mm-hmm. you're improvising, you're making stuff up and, um, and they don't feel encouraged to keep going with it. And so they just stop, stop playing their instruments. So they just stop playing jazz and whatever. And, uh, and then we just get fewer and fewer by the time you reach like the collegiate and then the professional level. Interesting. Yeah. I, my follow, I have two follow-up questions. My first, and you've kind of answered this was, have you faced any like 
outright discrimination at gigs or anything like that um, other than just like that general feeling of like knowing you're the only woman and knowing that like because of that you have to prove yourself or you have to make sure that you're really on point um, so that's one area I want to talk about and then I know that you teach um, young girls so I want to talk about kind of like num numbers wise like where we're at are there more girls getting involved in jazz at a younger age that then kind of fall off or is it something that it is changing yeah so okay so your first question um I don't I haven't like experienced a ton of discrimination but I there's one experience that like definitely is always at the front of my mind when I kind of get asked this question is mm -hmm. when I was in college we had um it was this big kind of uh summit at CU it's like called the conference on world affairs and it's this huge thing thousands of people come into Boulder for it and they do a music portion and they bring in all these really amazing musicians from around the world and they do a concert and for whatever reason this year, it was the only year they did this. Um, I think I was a sophomore in college. Um, they decided that they would have the jazz students um, perform for these guest artists in kind of like a clinic masterclass sort of thing, mm -hmm. but it was open to the public. So it was very weird. So there was like 300, two or 300 people there, maybe not that many, at least a hundred. Um, just people from the community, like people who don't necessarily know anything about music, whatever. And so they were just in the audience. And then we were kind of like, I don't know, we, we performed for the guest artists and then they were supposed to give feedback. And I was, the, at the time I was the only woman in the jazz program at school. Wow. Um, <laughs> definitely the only, yeah, I think I was the only one at that point. There was a couple of grad students who came on um, later, but um, and like, so we played this song, we did it, whatever. It was like the undergrad kids. And, um, and then just the only comment, the, the first and only comment that one of these guest artists, um, had was just pointing out that I was the only girl. And then how, how did I feel about trying to play jazz with all these guys? And, what? and yeah, it was, it was like, so and bizarre. like, it was so weird and like kind of implying like, Wow, you're doing a good job considering you're a woman, you know, Ugh, yeah. like that's kind of what his comments were, mm -hmm. were like. And, uh, you know, when I think about it now, like if, if it was me <laughs> now, I would be so sassy, right? Mm -hmm. I would just, I, but I was just shy and young. And so I just didn't know how to handle it, but it really upset me. So that's kind of the, that was like my first introduction to it. Yeah. Um, but I've been lucky because a lot of people, I think, respect me around town and, and my, my peers are just really, um, they're really like, they don't make that distinction known that like, it's like, I'm a woman. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, which obviously it does matter. It does make me different, but, but they don't treat me with any kind of discrimination. So, but I do get sexist comments, you know, every now and then, um, right. like, Oh, wow. You, well, you sure do make the, the rest of the guys on the stage look good. Don't you? Or something oh. like that. Or, or the one thing that I get is people assume that I should be singing because I'm a woman playing the piano. Cause it's like, it's weird, I guess, for some people to see a, a woman playing the piano and not singing, just only playing the piano <laughs> as if it's like kind of not enough. It's like, well, why aren't you singing? You know, you sound yeah. great, but really would enjoy it if you were singing more. And it's like, that kind of has just like a subtle, a subtle hint of that, but I've been lucky. I don't, I don't, I haven't experienced too much. That's too much good. discrimination on that end. Um, actually, I have a question about like what role 
does singing play in jazz? Because I don't know that I've seen jazz played that often with a singer at all. Yeah. So there's a, um, there's a long history of jazz, um, jazz singers and um, some amazing jazz singers who've um, performed throughout the decades. And it's kind of, it's almost just like a, a separate thing. Like you see, you'll see bands that just only have instruments, right? Like maybe piano based drums, maybe a saxophone or guitar. Um, and then sometimes you'll see just singers like thrown into the mix as well. So maybe, maybe the singer might be the leader of the band might be, ha- might have their name on the, you know, like the so-and-so quintet and it might be the singer kind of that's featured or they might be more as, um, kind of considered like an, another instrument. Like it might, I, sometimes I, I'll add singers to my bands, um, just cause I really like, you know, how that texture works within a composition, mm-hmm. like just having the human voice there and having the ability to communicate words too is, is pretty cool. Cause it's a really great way to kind of engage an audience a little bit more than just playing instrumental music. Um, so yeah, so you, nice. you encounter a lot of singers and, and the thing with the piano player and singer thing is that it's really kind of a common thing. You see a lot of women of some really amazingly talented ones that kind of have both those um, skills. Like they, they play piano and sing, kind of back themselves up while they're singing. And, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of ones that I know are just amazing at both. Really great singers, really great piano players. And so I just think it's a thing people like assume like, oh, you're a woman. Like, why aren't you singing? You should be singing. Right. That's what, that's what women do. Like they don't play the instrument. <laughs> so, yeah. That I would be an assumption. Yeah, I just roll my eyes when I hear that now, but as I've heard it so many times, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, so let's talk about, you know, your, st- well, first of all, tell my listeners a little bit about what you actually do, like teaching wise and some of like the workshops that you have coming up. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned an organization called Colorado Conservatory for the Jazz Arts and, um, uh, I developed a camp through them uh, this past year, this last November 2017. Um, I, we just felt it was time to start something just for girls and really kind of to address some of the stuff that I talked about earlier, where it's like, why, why do we have all these girls who are so excited about like playing instruments, you know, in, in sixth, seventh grade? Then by the time they're in high school, they stop or they stop playing jazz. They stop kind of being as into it. And then no one like hardly any of them go on to study in college or, or at a professional level. And um, so we kind of were thinking about that and we're like, well, what if we created a camp um, just for girls? So we do a lot of camps and kind of workshops through this organization, CCJA. And the idea was to not, not to like just alienate the girls, like not isolate them by putting them by themselves, but to create this really like comfortable, really welcoming environment really like just safe environment where they could feel okay to be themselves and they could feel okay to like be vulnerable and, and express themselves on their instruments and try new things and mess up and make mistakes. So I think like when you're at that age, at least I, I totally know this. I'm sure you can relate to this. Like when you're, when you're 12 years old, you care so much about what other people are thinking about you. Right. Oh, it's absolutely, just, yeah. it's just, you're at that stage of your life. And especially when you're at school and you're like, playing this instrument and you know, there's boys in your class that are making fun of you or whatever. And, or maybe you just perceive that they're making fun of you and, and you kind of shut down. You don't want to do that. So, um, so that was the kind of the idea behind it. Um, 
and we so we we called it Shebop. Um, oh my gosh, I love Shebop. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so my goal was this past fall, um, we just did a day long camp on a Saturday, and my goal was to have ten girls. We had twenty five sign up, oh, that's um, awesome. and I was really excited about that. We had girls on every instrument. So we had trombone and drums and guitar and piano and every kind of saxophone and trumpet. It was amazing. It was like, I, I honestly like brought tears to my eyes because we had all these girls in the same room playing music and like making, like making friends and like all these friendships kind of started and, and it was really, 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 really special. And, um, and so I'm just continuing it. I just want to keep the ball rolling with this idea. So this summer, actually this week, um, I'm starting kind of a, mi- I'm just doing a mini version of that camp. So we're just mm-hmm. going to get together every day um, for a couple hours. And then on Friday, we'll perform a concert. Um, and this week, we're, what I'm focusing on is only playing music that was written by female jazz musicians. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, so I'm kind of exposing them to some of the greats like Carla Bley and Jerry Allen and Maria Schneider and um, Mary Lou Williams, all these really incredible women um, who actually, I mean, talk about like Mary Lou Williams, she faced a lot of adversity, you know, just being from from a different era where it was even harder to be a jazz musician. So. So that's really exciting. I'm excited about that. And uh, we got a couple, we got about eight girls um, signed up. So just perfect amount for a small group. But um, it's something, I don't know, it's something I've just, I can't, like I said earlier, I just can't stop thinking about it. Because, um, you know, I'm one of the only teachers, uh, if not the only one in Denver, uh, of jazz, you know, who's a, a woman. And so, I'm glad that they know me, but it's just like, they should be, they should be exposed to, to way more and they should, um, you know, just feel like they can have this confidence to be themselves. And like, they're just as good. They're probably, you know, usually like stereotype, the girls at that age are just so much more organized and, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sometimes smarter than the boys. So, you know, they're, they have a really unique and special way of tackling kind of the complexities of jazz and so I just want to create an environment that can help um, help them boost their confidence and help them uh, just know that they can do this. And it, you know, if they're if they're passionate about it and they want to do it, they can do it. And if they're not passionate about it and they don't see it, you know, in their future, that's uh, that's amazing too. Like they, but they're going to carry this kind of um, hopefully this this thing with them through life. This appreciation for music and this appreciation for you know, seeing for supporting other women and seeing other women um, do what makes them happy. So yeah, that's kind of my, my shebop thing. I love it. It sounds amazing and so fun and like such a great environment. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of like all girls situations and all girls schooling, you know, yeah. I, I went to an all girls school. I oh, you was did? a member awesome. of the Girl Scouts. Like I think that's um, a lot of learning happens in those situations. So that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think it's that, that camaraderie, that like kind of sisterhood aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last, the camp we did in November, by the end of the day, I learned that I made it too short. I just made it 10, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And by the end of the day, I overheard a couple of girls like, oh, I wish it wasn't over. I wish we had more time to hang out. Oh and gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what it's all about. Like, it's that's awesome. You know, jazz is a social thing, too. It's like 
very social music and and it just it made me really happy to hear that (laughs) that's so great yeah. Um, so why don't you tell my listeners if they're in the Denver area how they can find this if they have a, a young girl who's interested in joining? Absolutely. So um, I'm just setting the dates for our fall camp, um, but it looks like it's going to be the first weekend in November. Um, so if you're in the Denver Boulder area, we're, we're likely going to host it at CU Boulder, which is where we hosted it last year. Um, and it's open to girls on any instrument and any ability level from ages 11 to 18. So even if you just picked up an instrument, um, like two months ago, you're welcome. Um, and the organization is called Colorado Conservatory for the Jazz Arts and our website is jazzarts.org. Um, so yeah, I would love to love to have as many girls as possible for next, this next fall. All right. Sounds amazing. So before we move into talking a little bit more about your your personal thoughts on womanhood, is there anything else you wanted to add about um, life in the jazz world? No, um, I, I guess I would say you know for any listeners out there who like maybe are are not super familiar with jazz, I just encourage them to go go find like a local jazz band in your in your city, and you know maybe they're just playing some background music at a bar or something, but just go check it out and see, you know, and, and listen for, you know, 20 minutes or something like that and really listen and see, see if you can kind of connect with it. Um, and see if the, see if the jazz musicians can connect with you also. (laughs) Um, but just, you know, it's like, it's just such an interesting art form. And, and I feel like we're kind of having a little bit of a, um, not revival, but like more attention is, is kind of being paid at least here in Denver. It seems like people are paying a little more attention to jazz. So yeah, I would just encourage people just try, try a new, try a new type of music that you haven't listened to before. Try, try jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Now I wasn't going to bring this up, but I will. Um, the place that I learned more about jazz was the movie Whiplash. Have you seen this movie? (laughs) I actually still have not seen it. And that's one of those things like, uh, some, some jazz musicians are like, they love it. They love that movie. And some are like, oh, it's so inaccurate, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Classic Hollywood. They, Mm -hmm. they mess up what the genre is all about. And, but you know, I mean, they said that about La La Land too. A lot of jazz musicians said that, but I, I personally liked La La Land and I wasn't, I didn't think it was it was too outside of what you know is accurate. So whatever, movies are movies. You gotta That's you just true. gotta enjoy the movies. But yeah, that 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 was kind of a cool. You know, jazz had a moment to kind of be mm-hmm. <laughs> be seen nationally when that movie came out. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, I feel like I I have a lot. You know, I have cousins and friends that do play jazz, but you know, as not being a musician myself, it, it I haven't known a lot about it. But I feel like I I learned from that movie. But it's also the story of the movie is really interesting and yeah exactly yeah it's a good yeah it's just a good movie. I still haven't seen it I still should see it <laughs> I recommend it it's a little intense but I, yeah. I highly recommend it all right Annie so let's hear what it means to you to be a woman Ooh, that is so I that I was thinking about that earlier that's such a good question <laughs> it's such a hard question too it's very think, broad it's very I think it it means something different maybe to every woman mm-hmm. um just depending on who you are but for me um it means for me being a woman means you know being strong being 
um, feminine because that's how I identify as, as being a feminine person. Mm-hmm. Um, it means, you know, having this connection to other women as, as friends and sisters and kind of like that sisterhood I was talking about earlier. Um, it, it's, it's a concept that's very intertwined with my personality, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's intertwined with my music too. Um, Interesting. How so? Because I, I think the music I write, um, I just think it has this feminine, um, kind of stereotypical, but like a, a stereotypical, like feminine, um, maybe more sensitive, um, thoughtful, um, nature than some of the music, you know, that my, my male peers write. So those are kind of words that I think about with, when I think about that, that idea of being a woman is, you know, being sensitive, being thoughtful, being feminine, but that's, you know, like I said, that's my interpretation of it. And that might be something Mm -hmm. totally different to someone else. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see it. Mm -hmm. I like that. I mean, it is, it totally is up for interpretation and projection of each person onto it what it means yeah I I would be curious to hear like what you think about that like how how would you respond to that I mean I started this podcast because I didn't have an answer to that question (laughs) Um, yeah you get to collect all the answers right and that's I mean that's really the goal here like I've I've listened and like you've said almost every single person has different answers to the question Mm -hmm. um but I've heard some some themes come out over that time. And a lot of it is what you just said, Um, you know, the ability to be sensitive and emotional, um, the ability to connect with other women on such a deep level. And I mean, and I think those are the two main things that kind of stick out to me and what it means to be a woman is I, I really have a deep appreciation for the ability to be emotional and react in an emotional way to things um, in a way that maybe men can't or are just starting to learn how to do. Yeah, that's a um, great way of putting it. I like that. And of course, and the connections with other women are yeah. definitely something that stands out to me. Those bonds are really special mm-hmm. between friends, between sisters, between even people, other women you don't know. Right. You, know, you just have this, you, you uh, have this understanding sort mm-hmm. of. And I like the way you're putting it, the sisterhood. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> kind of cheesy, but <laughs> I like that. Um, so, what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Um, I think uh, I like I like expressing myself. Um, I like being like I like being sensitive, and I like being emotional, and I like um, you know that I don't know. Our society has has made that okay for women to be that way, you know, whereas like men, it's, it's, they have like less, it's like less okay in our society, you know, for them to be like that. Right. Um, so I like that because that's who I am. I like to be, you know, I like to think about things in that, in that manner and kind of that thoughtful and an emotional way. Um, and I like, yeah, I like, um, sort of, you know, the, the feminine things I like, makeup and I like uh I like clothes I know that's a sort of low-hanging fruit to say that but I do I've always I've always loved fashion and I've always loved um you know just picking out unique things to wear and and that's always been one of my things even since like you know maybe eighth grade or something like that probably earlier than that but that's something I've always identified with is like you know uh, just picking out cool things to wear, going to 
vintage stores and, and finding cool jewelry and cool, you know, and that's not something that's specifically being a woman, but that's kind of how I identify with it. And, and one part I really, I really love about it is, you know, dressing up and feeling pretty and feeling beautiful. I'm definitely going to be expanding on that aspect of womanhood for my yeah. story of subversion when I talk. I'm going to be talking about Barbie a little bit later. Oh, that's so right. We'll, yeah. we'll be expanding on that. <laughs> that's, that's like very, yeah, very much tied into that, isn't yes. that? So on the flip side, what are the hardest parts of being a woman? I think um, some of the things that I said I love can also be some of the things that are hard. Um for me personally, being in a male dominated environment, you know, it's hard sometimes to be more emotional and more sensitive Mm -hmm. because I, you know, it's sometimes a, uh, it's a world where, um, you know, that, that, that sensitivity is maybe like seen as like a weakness or it's, it's seen as like, you know, you're just, you're just being too much, you know, like you're right. just so in my personal world that sometimes is hard, you know, or, or I overthink things because that, that's just my environment is, or my, uh, that's my default is to be emotional. But, um, you know, I think just on a broader level, um, in society, you know, it's, it's our society has always been male dominated too. <laughs> so it's, it's harder, you know, there's just, it's harder, I think in any career, to, to be on the same level as men when you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's just like, that's like facts. That's like, you know, the, the wage differences and just, and the cultural differences of just, um, you know, women not, not being perceived as being on the same level. Um, I think that's the hardest part is just like, and that's so, so ingrained and so systemic, you know, from, (laughs) from centuries and centuries and centuries of history right. that it's like, you know, we're, we're, we as a gender are breaking through now more, more than ever, but, but it's still there, you know, like just the persistent sexism that exists on every, like, um, in every sector and every sort of culture and every, you know, it's just like, right. that's still there. It just like blankets everything. So yeah. that I think is the biggest you know, the hardest thing, um, as a, as a gender for us. Right. And having to, you know, spend so much time thinking about this and thinking how we fit in and thinking about how to change it. It Mm -hmm. takes up a lot of energy. (laughs) It does. It does. And there's so many women who are like doing so many amazing things to, you know, help push through that even more and help, help other women and, and fight for those kind of those equal rights, whether it's like, you know, reproductive rights or just, um, you know, equal pay or just getting more women in certain, you know, more women to be airline pilots and more women to be this and that. And so that's really inspiring that it's just, you do see a lot of people like this is their, that have committed to this cause mm-hmm. as, um, as just women, you know, just, just helping women. Right. Um, thinking back to what you said about how sometimes like your favorite parts can be the hardest parts. Like I completely agree with that because, you know, my, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite parts is the ability to be emotional, but sometimes Mm -hmm. being emotional prevents people from taking you seriously because like quote unquote stereotypical feminist or feminine qualities are not necessarily the qualities that our society values. 
that's yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're being crazy or you're, right. you know, whatever, you're, you're being way too sensitive mm-hmm. or you need to get over it or whatever. But it's like, you know, if that's in your nature to, to perceive the world that way, like, you know, <laughs> you, you should be able to perceive right. the world that way. Totally. And I mean, and I think empathy and sensitivity are the keys to a lot of things and the solutions oh my gosh, to a lot so of problems. Many things. Yeah, so many things. And that's why it's like, you know, I always, it's just like, if there were more women in, in, in like leadership positions, like, right. you know, in politics and in, in everything with those like empathy and and sensitivity and sympathy and all these things like it just I I feel like the world would be a better place probably (laughs) a more welcoming place a more thoughtful place um so is there anything you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know right now oh I think well I think you know all that being said I think women um have there's so many shades of complexity of women you know like there's there's so much to to you know the female mind and the female personality you know so many different layers of complexity that I just think um I don't know I just would love to like read more and learn more about like what people like what I don't know if anyone studied like just you know like the female brain more and just all the different there's so many different types of women out there that it's really, it's amazing to see like just as a, as a gender, like what, what is out there and what people can accomplish and what people are doing and what people are interested in. And um, yeah, I guess that was kind of a silly answer, but no, that makes sense. I just think like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about everything kind of in terms of my lens of like um, the music world and there's, there's sometimes, you know, you can kind of see, oh, that's just a girl playing the piano. We, we've seen that before. But it's like, you know, every woman who plays, plays music is, um, has her own individual voice and, and perspective and life experiences and, you know, certain spectrum of, of, uh, of emotional, you know, vulnerability and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's just I, I think that I'm very fascinated by all that. So do you think... So in like the the writing world, like, you know, there's the genre of like chick lit or whatever. And then uh-huh. in movies, there are chick flicks and okay. there's just kind of this general like devaluing or like frivolity that's ascribed to things that are created by produced by women. Um, do you think that's the same in the music world and specifically the jazz world? I think so. I mean, I think when people think about that in that kind of same perspective, it's like singers. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, like female vocalists and it's like female vocalists singing like a sultry version of <laughs> my mm-hmm. funny Valentine or something like that. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of what, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Female jazz musicians. Okay. That's what they do. But like, you know, in the spectrum of female jazz musicians, oh my God, there's some, like a woman named Jerry Allen. She's like one of my heroes. She passed away, unfortunately, last year. But she was like, just the most wild pianist, you know, you've ever heard, but so creative. And so, um, you know, she, her music, a lot of her music is very sensitive and very beautiful, kind of maybe what you would expect from a, a female musician, you know, with a a strong sense of emotion, but also, I mean, she could play so avant-garde and so like free and 
And it's so different than maybe what, you know, what people might think a female pianist like Diana Krall, you know, who I, and I love Diana Krall, but she's very much more like in this kind of commercial, um, very easy listening kind of vein. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but like, there's just, or Carla Blay is another pianist just like that too. Just like so creative and so out there and funny and, um, you know, create like intertwines humor with her music a lot. And I love that. There's just so many different shades of, of um, female jazz musicians. And I think sometimes, you know, yeah, that kind of go-to, that like low-hanging fruit is like, oh, it's just like a, a lounge jazz singer singing, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, sultry versions of songs, you know. Interesting. So, yeah, there's just, but there's so many and there's just, there's a lot of really um, cutting edge female jazz musicians right now who are like just totally pushing the boundary. Like even if they were male you know, we'd be like, holy shit, this, this, yeah. this, uh, this person is like, just, just reaching the outer limit and, and really stretching and really creating some new stuff. But I think it's even cooler that they're women. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So let's use that to get into talking about your story of subversion. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this, um, about, you know, subversive, um, woman that I, I admire. And there's two, two people, two musicians came to mind. One is, is kind of a recent one. Um, and it's just like a small example, um, in the, in the jazz world is about five years ago. Um, a woman who's, who's still very young, she's probably 30 years old named Melissa Aldana. She won, um, a very prestigious competition called the Thelonious Monk, competition in saxophone and she was the first woman to win it in saxophone and um it was a huge deal i thought because you know she totally broke through this kind of like boys club of this it's a jazz competition which is kind of its own thing like some people are like ah whatever comp you know it's music it shouldn't be competitions but it was a huge deal that she won and you know since then she's been She's for, she's one of those people, like I mentioned earlier, that are just like pushing the boundaries and I'm so inspired by what they're doing. Um, and I just, I just thought that was cool. She just, you know, was herself and she just totally killed it. And she broke through this kind of like longstanding tradition of only men winning this competition. And she was young. She was probably 24, 25 when she won. Um, so she's one. And then the other, the other person in the music world that, um, is a hero of mine, um, is Maria Schneider. And so if you're not familiar with Maria Schneider's, um, music for all the listeners out there, um, definitely go check her out. Um, she's amazing. She writes, she's just like almost magical. Um, she's so talented and hardworking and she's a jazz composer. She leads her own jazz orchestra of about 19, 20 people. And, um, she's, she's won several Grammys, um, and she tours around the world and plays like the biggest concert halls literally all over the world. And, um, she is my, one of my heroes because she, well, first of all, she's one of the few female jazz composers for that kind of big of an ensemble that that's even around. There's a couple of others that were around before her, but she, when she came about, um, in like the 90s um and then early 2000s you know she was she really paved this way for herself and pushed through a lot of um you know just like the similar thing like this this established thing of like this is a thing that dudes do and and uh so she leads her own band and she 
I think more than anything, um, she worked really hard at, at, at paving that path because, because it was so established as like, this is someone else's, this is the way it's done. And her music was so different from other stuff that, that had come before it and was happening at the time. It still is. It's still, it's so, still so unique and so personally her music. Um, and I just, I just think that's, I'm so inspired by that, that she kind of forged her own path and kind of did kind of went against the grain a little bit and pushed through this male dominated um, thing. So yeah, Maria Schneider, she's, she's one of my heroes. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to check her out. Yeah. I'm not familiar with her. Yeah. She's a, uh, well, you know, she actually, she went to Eastman. So she was, up Oh, the, so right in, up right in that area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Area. But she's, yeah, she's based in, in New York city now, but, um, but yeah, so she's kind of who I think about too. That's awesome. Learning a lot about music today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm actually going to get into my story of subversion. Um, It's a little bit controversial um, because, like I said, I'm going to be talking about Barbie. And Mm -hmm. there are just lots of opinions out there about Barbie. But I'm specifically going to be talking about Ruth Handler, who is the inventor of Barbie. Um, And so, Annie, did you play with Barbies when you were a kid? I totally did. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. I had like I had like a dream house of sorts and usually what I did was I would spend like a really long time setting everything up and then by the time everything was set up the way I wanted it, I didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> that was typically what happened. <laughs> that was the fun part. <laughs> yeah, the setting up and then I'm like, "All right, I'm bored." I got um, it. But yeah, I That's guess funny. I've never really you know, I, I always had Barbies growing up, and I guess I never really thought of whether or not Barbie had an impact on me. Um, but I watched the documentary. It's called Tiny Tiny Shoulders, which is really hard to say for some reason. Tiny <laughs> Shoulders, Rethinking Barbie, um, which is a documentary on Hulu, and it talks about how Barbie and Bar- it talks about the history of Barbie's image and it talks about how Barbie has been reimagined in the past couple years. Um, and so the documentary came out pretty recently, but it's talking about um, the redesign that happened with Barbie that came out in um, 2016. So within the past couple years. So hmm. I didn't know much about the um, inventor of Barbie, but her name is Ruth Handler and she was a businesswoman, basically. She was the salesperson for her husband's companies, and her husband and his business partner eventually formed Mattel. And just reading about her, she just seemed like she was really just a driving force behind sales and behind making deals and really coming up with the prototype for Barbie and getting it out there into the world and just making some really bold decisions that nobody else was making at the time. Like I read that Barbie was the, the only sponsor of the Mickey mouse club. And that Mm. was before any TV shows had like toys as a sponsor. And through that, their marketing kind of skyrocketed and they were able to sell a lot more Barbies that way. Um, So the way that Ruth Handler came up with the idea for Barbie dolls was that she was watching her daughter play with paper dolls and Paper dolls were kind of unique because all the other dolls at the time were like baby dolls and they kind of promoted this like nurturing environment where they were given to young girls and it was promoted that 
you know, young girls should take care of babies and know how to feed babies and just be very nurturing. Whereas the paper dolls were adult women who had like careers and jobs and you can kind of dress them up and project your like fantasies of what you wanted to be when you were going when you were growing up onto that. And so she thought that was very unique and she wanted to come up with a basically a 3D version of um, paper dolls. And it's kind of odd, like in the documentary, they talk a lot about how Ruth thought it was very, very important for the doll to have breasts. And I never really thought about that before. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's like an adult woman's but I mean, it is plastic and things are missing, but it is <laughs> like an adult woman's body, which, you know, you are going to think about that differently than with like a baby doll. Right. Um, I don't know. That just was interesting to me. And sorry, my notes are kind of just like all I just kind of like spewed a bunch of notes about this because I still I don't really know what to like make of it still. Um, But the documentary is really interesting because it shows like the evolution of Barbie and it shows kind of the ebb and flow of Barbie's popularity. Like when she first came out, um, she was very, very subversive. It was this product where there, I think there were six different options, one of which was an astronaut. And this was the 1960s. So, mm. you know, we haven't, our, the United States hadn't even been to the moon yet. And Barbie was an astronaut. A woman wouldn't even be an astronaut for another 20 years after that. Wow. So that's insane to me that we, there was like a Barbie that was an astronaut, a Barbie that was a businesswoman and a very career focused um, spin on things. Mm-hmm. And so then throughout the 1960s, um, sales went up. But then as we reached the late 1960s, when, you know, the, the feminist movement really like picked up again, um, sales dropped. Uh, people were just not really interested in upholding the gender stereotypes. And Barbie had to like reinvent herself. And so uh, that was something that happened several times over the years. And the one thing that was there was a Barbie in the 80s that was like day to night Barbie. And so during the day, she's a career woman with a briefcase. And then you flip her dress inside out. And at night, she's ready for a date with Ken. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Um, just very That's interesting. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, obviously, like, I, I don't know. The whole documentary feels very strange to me because you know, the whole documentary is how can we market Barbie in a new way in 2016 for our new social landscape. Um, But it kind of feels like they're asking how to market womanhood, which Hmm. is an interesting thing to think about that like womanhood is being packaged in Barbie and she's become such a symbol. Um, And of course she, she's very like problematic. Um, and with offering only like one body type and like right. Barbie was often, I mean, the, I think like the quintessential Barbie picture that we have in our minds is like a certain body type, blonde, white, and right. that's it. And um, the fact that Mattel has been, tra- they, they've been trying to change that, but really haven't like gotten on board with that until the, na- the last couple of years. So I think that that is a pretty problematic thing, but the conclusion of this documentary is that at the end of the documentary they release these new Barbie dolls that come in different Barbie type or in different body types. So there is a curvy Barbie, there's a petite Barbie, there's a tall Barbie, and an ath- I think an athletic body type. So 
that was kind of the the result of the um, documentary. This this revolution of Barbie with different skin tones, different hair textures, and different body types uh, being released. And so those mm. have been out since 2016. And I mean, I don't. I mean, I guess I didn't really even know that because I'm not in circles where people are buying Barbies or playing with Barbies. Yeah, I was going to um, say I didn't know that either. <laughs> um, you know, most of my friends that have children, their children are very young, so they're not at that age yet where they would have to think about whether or not they were going to buy a Barbie. But right, I just found that that pretty interesting and kind of subversive. And I'm happy that Barbie is kind of caught up with what people actually look like. Um. That's, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Coming. Yeah, a long time coming. Probably should have happened decades ago. Right. But. Well, in the documentary, they talk about how um, part of the reason it was so difficult is because, you know, they've kind of been known for having like clothes that fit every Barbie. So if you're making different right. body types, you have to make different clothes for every Barbie. You also have to make different like door sizes and car sizes and different mm. things um, because you know, they, there are different shapes and sizes now, but like how much like real life is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple more notes about Ruth Handler. So after she got out, so Ruth actually got into some uh, legal trouble with the books at Mattel. Um, and they do mention that at the end of the documentary, but it's weird because they mention it after the credits so it's huh. kind of like an afterthought, um, but that seems like kind of a huge thing that happened. And then she, in the 70s, ended up getting breast cancer, and she created a product line of prosthetic breasts because she had a mastectomy, and she wanted to create a line of that. So she was, you know, she wow. really had her hand in a lot of um, different things that affect women pretty directly. So... That's the story of Ruth Handler. I apologize because that was kind of all over the place. Oh, no. that's <laughs> Wow, that's really fascinating. I'm like, I'm going to definitely check out that documentary now. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing about the documentary, I'm not really sure, like, obviously Mattel has some hand in, like, producing and putting out the documentary. Like, it doesn't seem like it was, like, a completely independent thing. Um, and so that might be part of, like, the marketing of this new Barbie, creating a documentary to appeal hmm. to a different age of parents, parents who yeah. appreciate documentaries and who want to know kind of, like, the workings and the the, the feminist bent to whatever's happening. Um, so I am wary of it in that way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, it's a marketing, it's just an right. extension of your marketing campaign. Right. And it is, I, I went to the Barbie website and it is, the documentary is posted on their website. So, okay. So, so yeah, it's not completely independent. Um, and another, just one more thing to note that kind of stuck out to me. There was, they showed like children in focus groups playing with the new prototypes of like the different sizes of the Barbie. And they showed this recording of like the audio, or they played the audio of a, one of the focus groups where, a little girl's playing with like the the curvy Barbie, and she keeps saying, "These Barbies are fat, 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 fat." Oh, and no. I was like, "Oh God, like that's." And so the question is like that perception of like how a woman is supposed to be. Like I feel like that is perpetuated by Barbie. Yes. But also, I I don't know. It's it. Where has that child? learned that right yeah where where did they pick up that to like just assume that that's like a negative thing? right and so hopefully, probably from a lot of sources but right. maybe from 
Barbie itself. <laughs> right. And Barbie, I yeah. think, is one of those sources. Yeah. Yeah. So just a lot to think about. So if anyone um, has comments on that or has seen the documentary, um, give us a shout out on social media. I want to hear what people think. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. A lot to take in. All right. So Annie, uh, we are coming to the end of our episode. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? Not really. I just want to thank you so much for having me. This has been really awesome to talk about all this stuff and learn some stuff also. (laughs) This has been great. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Kelsey. All right. So, um, If you are looking to get in touch with Womankind, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Womankind Podcast. You can email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at www.womankindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends. Bye.